Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Happy Recap Radio Show for this June 25th, 2017. I am JB, along with EJ, who will be joining me momentarily here. Glad to have each and every one of you along for the ride. I uh, know many of you are probably listening as a post-game edition. The Mets are currently playing the San Francisco Giants, beating them 3 to nothing at the moment. Uh, so we get it that uh, many of you will be uh, joining us in progress or perhaps um, as a Sunday evening or Monday morning commute type program. Well, you know, when we, when we last spoke two weeks ago, we certainly talked about these coming games that were coming up against Chicago, Washington, and um, the LA Dodgers out in LA and what this series meant for the Mets, where they stood in the standings and certainly what it would mean for the Mets going forward. Should they, um, you know, either do really well over those uh, 13 games or, um, or I should say 11 games, uh, or not do so well over those 11 games. And uh, as we all know, coming and going by the by the tote board, they did not do well um, on those uh, those uh, games and uh, managed to finish that 11 game uh, stretch at three and eight. Um, essentially, in my opinion, ending the 2017 season on the I think it was the 20th of June or thereabouts. Um, and uh, certainly putting the Mets in a position where they currently stand now, mind you, Nationals are not being that hot themselves, but uh, certainly well enough. The Mets are currently uh, comfortably lodged in fourth place, 33 and 41 coming into today's game. Uh, 12 and a half games off of the uh, wild card, 11 and a half games off of the division. Uh, mind you, there are two and a half games between uh, second place and first place. Uh, the uh, Braves uh, are at 36 and 39, nine games out, uh, 10 games off the wild card, which actually does mean that, yes, indeed, the Washington Nationals are the only team in the National League East with above 500 record. Um, some of the things that we talked about, uh, not understanding and not uh, fathoming really well a couple of weeks ago, are coming to some level of fruition as. Uh, you know, the NL West starts to sort itself a little bit out uh, more like we thought. The Dodgers, of course, uh, taking four straight for the Mets have not stopped since. They're on a nine-game winning streak. Um, they're in first place by two and a half games in the NL West. Uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks and Colorado, uh, mind you, when we last spoke, Colorado was in first place. They're now sitting three and a half games behind um, and one game behind the Diamondbacks. So certainly I think it is safe to say right now the Mets are basically dead in the water. Um, I, I think that's a pretty safe thing as, uh, as my co-host joins me, EJ, um, just commenting that, uh, you know, with the Mets current, where the Mets currently sit, um, uh, AKA dead in the water, um, uh, you know, for those that are still holding out hope on the wild card, I still say that's even more bleak than the already bleak picture of the division. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Last time we were on the air, we were talking about that critical 11 game stretch we both had put them over 500 in that stretch and we just saw them get absolutely whacked by the Dodgers uh really showing a, a just a poor showing all around it wasn't as 
if it was competitive baseball just gone bad. It was uh, really bad baseball being played by the Mets. It's really, you know, we, we said that the reinforcements being back, it wasn't all the reinforcements, but maybe it would be enough to to keep them afloat for a little while longer. Well, I think uh, I think we're both kind of on board right now. And surprisingly enough, a lot of the, uh, the Mets universe seems to be on board that if you can be sellers at this point, be sellers. You've got a lot of guys with expiring contracts who could definitely help improve a uh, potential playoff team. And if you can get anything back to them at all, now I'm not sure what each guy's potential value would be on a trade market right now. I think we've discussed this in the past. I kind of think a lot of Mets fans uh, view our guys a little higher than they're viewed around the rest of the the league. But if you get something of value back from some of these guys, why not do it? Because you're probably not re-signing them anyway at the end of the year, except for possibly Addison Reed, who it makes total sense, sell him to a contender, and then possibly uh, offer him a contract after this year. But you're right, they are dead in the water, despite what's going on in San Francisco. Let's face it, as bad as the Mets are, the, the Giants are even worse, uh, as the wheels are coming off a little bit on Montero anyway here, so this one's far from over, I feel. But yeah, even if they do sweep the Giants, it's still, it's just not going to, you're not going to be able to sustain any type of lengthy run of, of win streak that they would really, really badly need right now to get into any form of contention. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's after the after playing the past three teams. Now, mind you, you know, one of the positives is for the most part, the Mets do still have the number of the Chicago Cubs. Um, they definitely, you know, that was that was kind of you know, the false hope at the beginning of the piece here uh, with that with that eleven game stretch. But uh, you know, if if you've just gone through a three and eight stretch and you wind up sweeping the San Francisco Giants, walking away, tw- um, you know, sweeping a team that's on pace to wit to uh, lose a hundred games for the first time since they've been in San Francisco, which mind you, as I believe that I believe they're in their 60th season this year in San Francisco, because 58 to 17, uh, that's, that's 60, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so uh, yeah, that's not something to hang your hat on guys. It just, just isn't Addison Reed. is It's kind of funny. I kind of wanted to get your take on Reed too, because he is one of those guys that, uh, Obviously, he's been filling you know the, the closer spot since uh, you know both before and after um, the brief stint, 2017 stint of uh, Jerris Familia. But um, he is a guy that I you know even before the season began, I really had a hard time seeing the Mets bringing back in 2018 because I can't help but think he is going to get offers and they may be less money than the Mets offer him initially. But I think he is going to be given offers by major league teams to be their closer next season, and I can't see him turning them down over being our eighth inning guy. Oh yeah, I totally agree. Reed is absolutely going to be a major league closer, and he's earned the right to be a major league closer. He's done Agreed. a very ser- serviceable job for the Mets here. In fact, I'm personally I've never been a big Familia guy, so I could sit here and make an argument for Reed over Familia, especially with uh, what Familia is going to be coming off of. But I agree. He's going to get an offer. He may get an offer in division because we, we know that there are teams in division who need closers as well. So I, do, I could see that, but I could also see the possibility of maybe the Mets, I don't know, saying to him that, hey, you can have a shot at closer here. We don't know what Familia is going to be like when he gets back. But uh, I agree. If it does come down to, a, hey, eighth inning here but more money or a closer elsewhere, I think the money would be so close that he would want to – take that role of closer and I couldn't blame him for it. That's a, 
that's a very prestigious role in Major League Baseball. You get a, a lot more eyes on you than coming out of the eighth inning is when you're the closer. And, uh, and like I said, he deserves it. He, he's done a very good job here for us, and I feel very capable that we're in very capable hands when he's in for the Mets, and I think another team would feel that they're in capable hands naming him as their closer for 2018. Now, there's one thing I had brought up uh, with you on Twitter during the week, and I, I, I wanted to go there with this a little bit. It was just more of an aside comment, and I, I made it to you, and I made it to a couple other people um, throughout the week. And uh, and then, oddly enough, Ken Rosenthal all but read my mind and semi-addressed it yesterday in his uh, weekly uh, video. I don't want to call it a podcast, per se. It's just a little, his two-minute little headline snippet of different things he's been talking about this week. Um I feel like with where the Mets are right now, um, that the ta- available talent pool, especially on the free agent market, it is becoming very quickly, very hard to envision the Mets. And this is not a financial thing. I, I think the Mets are going to have the money. I think the Mets are actually going to spend some money this offseason. I think they're going to have a lot of pressure to do so with all the money that's coming off the books. I question the available talent to fix all the holes that this team will obviously have to compete in 2018. Well, let's face it. We've seen for the past few years, really the free agent market has been dwindling in, in terms of quality. Yeah, there's been some quantity out there, but it's not really the what you would call franchise fixers. I mean, there will be one or two of those guys each year, but nowhere nearly as in-depth as it used to be. And we, we've talked about that on the show, about how that's right. a, a, an element of them. You can't rebuild the franchise Yeah, good, good young talent. Lock them up early. So we, we've seen that. So I agree with you. I don't think there will be enough on the free agent market to fill the holes the Mets are going to have. What I do think is it might be possible as long as you're doing a combination of you bringing up a first baseman and a shortstop from AAA, both of whom appear to be more than ready, uh, maybe one more than the other, but by next year, I would have the confidence in both of them. So now you've, you've fixed that. You could probably, I don't know, I think you have a third baseman. I don't know who it is right now, but I think you have a third baseman for next year, whether it's Rivera and Flores and, or some combination of it. So I feel like you would be able to fill in enough youth, then combine it with maybe some trades here this season, and then not rely, have to rely as heavily on the free agent market. I don't know if the solution to the bullpen problem is out there in any of those three circumstances, but I really feel that's one of the biggest needs they're going to have to address, and it remains to be seen what they do here. But I think it's kind of crazy to look at the Mets, a team who did not bring in one single player from outside the organization in this past offseason. I think it's a little crazy to look at that organization and say, oh, yeah, they're going to fix all their holes in free agency. I don't foresee that happening. No, I mean, I think, you know, you're, you're looking at a, a, the, the, you know, the various things that the Mets are doing and, you know, they have to do. Obviously, what they do over the next uh, five and a half weeks is key. Uh, I, I think, uh, you know, multiple reports have indicated that the Mets are, quote unquote, open for business um, with, with trade. Now, it certainly doesn't help that you've got a couple guys either injured or coming off injuries and, We'll talk about uh, Mr. Mr. Cabrera um, in in a little bit, but um, you know, for those hoping that the Mets could get some you know some uh, good uh, chunk of change for Neil Walker and his massive contract for the year, I, I think uh, you know his injury kind of knocks that outside the the realm of possibility. But um, I think you have to hope that really 
more than anything, people are looking for pieces that will help this team down the road with these trades. I think what you really need to be looking for, uh, at least in my opinion, is in these trades is mid-level prospects that you could potentially package this offseason with what you already have to get what you need. Yeah, that's a good call. You're kind of just restocking the, the entire franchise in that regard, and that way you're going to have, hopefully, some, some more pieces that would be appealing to other teams during the offseason. If you can stockpile a little bit, because let's face it, we don't have a lot in the minors right now that I would call very juicy for other teams, except for the pieces that are juicy that I in no way, shape, or form want to let, uh, want to let go at this point. So, yeah, let's, let's refill the coffers a little bit, and that way when teams do come knocking, come the GM meetings, we, uh, we can hopefully have something that appeals to them. <laughs> How about my man, Renee? Renee Rivera just hit his second homer of the day. That's, uh, that's kind of awesome for the people who are clamoring for, uh, for him to be the everyday catcher, which that has uh, – well, And, that, that and not only that, did you, lot... did you see that throw last inning? Yes, and the catch Ooh. in the first inning off the backstop. Uh, yeah, uh, the, the volume of people calling for Renee has definitely gotten a lot louder. I've noticed on Mets Twitter, but uh, yeah, so there you go. For him, he's having a have yourself a day, Renee Rivera. Two home runs, an awesome throw, and an awesome catch earlier, and it's uh, it's only the fourth inning. You know, it's one of those things. As you've kind of seen him step up his games, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know this year alone, it, it's I kind of have to keep reminding myself this guy's thirty four. Yep. You know, yep. that's that that's the thing that I keep cuz it's like you go, know, okay, let's just hand the keys to him for the next 5 years. Yeah, you can't really do that unfortunately. Um I mean, you know, the the, the reality of it is and you know, there are a few people who are talking about it. It's like when you talk about I I don't think there's a lot of people that disagree at this point. And this has been the case for over a year now because if you look at what the I think the organization agrees too because look what they tried to do at the deadline last year. I think it's. I think we can all agree the Mets do need an upgrade at catcher for next year. I, there are very oh, yeah. few people I think that have not given up on Travis Darno as the, the Met catcher of the future. The problem is, who's out there? Lacroix has had a terrible year, and he's thirty three or thirty two, somewhere in there. I think thirty two. Uh, I'm sure I'll get an email correcting me on his age, but that's okay. He's 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 not a spring chicken. Let's put it that way. So you do have to wonder, is that a bit of a decline, at least from the abuses of catcher? And this is, is that a guy that is better off signing and at least being a part-time DH somewhere? But, uh, you know, really, who's out there this offseason? There's not a lot. The only thing you can do, EJ, I think, is what the Mets did last time, is go out there, catcher that's a, a top prospect, and, and hope he pans out, unlike Darno. And Tlawecki, unfortunately. But, yeah, yeah. You're, you're right that, that those guys haven't panned out. And if you could get a our organization's top catching prospect right now. I do agree that that's where you probably have to hang your hat. What's funny is you mentioned McCroy, who we were pretty adamant about that. We wanted him last year and for his terrible year that he's having our uh, uh, team thirst trap on Twitter this morning, actually tweeted out a comparison of Lucroy's numbers and Renee Rivera's numbers. And they are almost identical. Actually Rivera pulls ahead in the home run count by hitting two today. But, yeah, what Renee Rivera has done in a part-time role this year has been pretty much identical to what Luke Roy's done in, in his 2017 campaign. So that's, uh, that's a kind of interesting comparison. But you're right. I mean, it actually led to an entire conversation about catching in Major League Baseball in general. 
And really, it comes down to you've got two maybe elites, you've got about four other above average, and then throughout the rest of the league, the catcher position is so far below mediocre for everyone. And it's almost like the role of catcher at this point is, is just an afterthought. I mean, the amount of teams who are currently batting their catcher eighth is, is no small number. And it's just, a, it's just gone on throughout the league for, uh, it seems like it's been a position on the decline for a while. And I just feel like the days of uh, seeing a Mike Piazza back there are just, uh, they're long far gone. Yeah, I mean, you, you have, and unfortunately, the problem for Met fans, uh, you know, is that we've had both Gary Carter and Mike Piazza. I, I yeah, kind of say we're spoiled. We're really yeah. spoiled because both of them were the uh, unique elite, especially in the 80s. You did not have another guy out there like Gary Carter. I mean, Gary Carter basically, you know, he came into pro, uh, prominence around about the time that, uh, you know, uh, Johnny Bench starts winding down. Um, and realistically, if you think about it, right around the time Gary Carter retires is about the time that Mike Piazza comes up. Um, and, and it's almost cyclical because if you think, well, Piazza, you know, when Piazza retired, who is coming to prominence? Buster Posey. Yep. You know, and, and it's, it's this once in a generation catcher, and we've managed to catch lightning in a bottle twice, but we also managed to win a World Series ring with Jerry Grody behind the plate. You know, it, it's, it, it's, it's a situation that I think that we kind of have to stay, but stand back and go, you know, a guy that hits 250, 10 home runs, 50, 60 RBIs, but can throw out 50% of the runners that, that run on him, especially with this rotation, is the kind of guy that you kind of want behind the plate. And, and, you know, honestly, I would take a 24-year-old Rene Rivera in a heartbeat. In yeah, a heartbeat like, as the everyday catcher of this team for the next five, seven years. I was saying something similar to that the other day. I was having a conversation with someone, and he non-ironically asked me, what do you think Todd Pratt in his prime would get on the open market right now? And I think it would be a pretty damn good deal. Yeah, I mean, I, I, boy, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things. You, you, you look at the value of a catcher, and let, let's put this into perspective here. Following the, you know, in 1986, the Mets had three catchers throughout the season. Of course, uh, Gary Carter, John Gibbons, who, of course, went on to manage the Blue Jays, and Ed Hearn. Now, Ed, who's been on the show, good friend of the show, good friend of mine, and uh, just a great guy altogether, managed to put together a decent season as the primary backup to Carter, including playing for him for three weeks when Carter tore his thumb. His stats are not going to get him into the Hall of Fame that year, but the Mets turned that season into David Cohn. David Cohn. Yep. <laughs> that yep. is that right there should explain the value in the eighties of the catcher. Yeah, it's true. Uh, and uh, that's the eighties. Now think about it today. If you actually were able to develop, if you had a Rene Rivera right now at twenty-five years old in your franchise, what would you get for him today? It would probably be a really good haul given the lack of depth at the position in the league. Well, and I, and I do play, I mean, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, talking around a little bit to some of our minor league experts, uh, including uh, uh, Joe DeMeo, and uh, just kind of, you know, want to talk a little bit, of, of course, at, at some point down the road, uh, when we can get him on, about uh, Tomas Nido, down, who's playing uh, catcher currently 
at Binghamton. He's probably still a season off, but five home runs, 32 RBIs, batting 259. I mean, and from what I understand, his defense is pretty good. But here's a name I want to throw out there, EJ. Um, I don't normally throw out. This is more of a possibility. You know, there's a kid named Carson Kelly. I don't know if you've heard of Carson Kelly. Uh, he's in the St. Louis organization. Uh, seven home runs, 30 RBIs, batting 289 uh, for them this year. He's a catcher. He's in AAA. He's kind of blocked by some guy yeah, named Molina. I'd so. Yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> He's the number two prospect in the entire St. Louis organization right now. Yeah. If I were Sandy, especially knowing that they need to retool this offseason too, that's a call I'd make at least find out what it would take to pry him out of there. Yeah, unfortunately, again, and this goes to the lack of depth around the league. A guy it's a like high that, price. I, yeah, I feel like you're talking kind of a king's ransom to pry a, a number two prospect out of an organization, B, from a position that can often be, get injured at the major league level and the minor league level, and C, could eventually become, they could have a, a seamless transition of Olina into him at some point, or they could even consider maybe doing some positional changes with them for a guy that's good. I think that's going to that's gonna cost a pretty penny, but you're right. You better believe that Sandy Alderson better check to see what that penny would cost. At the very least, yeah. I mean, at the very least, just look into it. I mean, this is the type of guy that they should be looking into. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, if you really think Nido's your guy for the future, and if enough people, you know, kind of back that up, give the keys to Rivera for one more year. Bring in a reasonably priced, uh, a reasonably priced uh, backup that uh, also a defensive type specialist, uh, and we'll deal with the offensive hole and the fact that we've got a number eight hitter for the year. Uh, but uh, you know, I don't see a problem with that. But the reality of it is, uh, you know, especially as these guys, uh, you know, have shown, um, players like to run on our pitchers. That's not going to change. No, definitely not. I think if that is something you're going to consider doing, then the first thing you have to do is move Darno to an American League team. Because I still think Travis Darno can be a very capable offensive player in Major League Baseball. I just don't think his body will hold up playing catcher, and I don't think he's good enough defensively at catcher to continue playing catcher. So I think that would have to be the first move you would make prior to considering uh, giving Rivera one more year at the starting position. And I do think that you, in the off season, especially, I think if, you know, I think Darno is a good trade candidate for one of the quote unquote uh, change of scenery type trades uh, that you get with a couple of guys that really uh, what they can achieve in their particular organization, and it's just time to kind of uh, you know see what they can do somewhere else, and uh, you you find another team looking to do the same thing. Um, I, I see that as a distinct possibility. But I also think, uh, barring a trade for Darno, if you can't find one, I think he is a legitimate non-tender candidate for this year. Oh, yeah. I totally agree with that. Yeah, I think uh, you're right. He does need the change of scenery, and I think the Mets need a, a change of scenery behind the plate because I think they've they really they, – it's you hate to say they missed, but, man, they really did miss on Darno and Flewecki. We uh, We went from thinking which guy is the guy of the future to the harsh reality that neither of them are the guy of the future. 
So you're right. It is time for, I think, all parties involved to move on, and catcher needs to be one of the highest priorities on Sandy's off-season wish list. Yeah, I, I think that that's, I mean, that, that goes without saying. And, and I think it's also, like, like we've also said, the, the uh, hardest position potentially to replace I thought it was interesting when Rosenthal was talking about the place, the positions the Mets would need to replace next year. Uh, he rather curiously said first base. And the only question I had about that was, is, 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 uh, is Mr. Rosenthal just not familiar with our farm system and knowing that the general consensus is we have a first baseman next year? Um, or does he know something we don't? And that uh, yeah. maybe the Mets don't have the level of confidence in Dom Smith to be handing him the keys next year. I'd be surprised if that was the case because I feel like Dom's doing his job as you would want a future everyday player to be doing when he's in AAA. I feel like he's getting the job done. I certainly don't feel like him coming up would be any type of offensive downgrade from what we're currently getting production from first base. So I, I really, I have a really strong confidence that both Brown and Rosario are opening day starters next year. I'd be pretty surprised. I'd, I'd be shocked if neither of them were there. I'd be pretty surprised if only one of them was. Yeah, I think so. I mean, in watching, uh, now, again, I've I, I watched a couple of games on, on the internet and had a chance to go to one uh, live a few weeks ago. And uh, unfortunately, they're in town this week, but they're all weekday games. So I'm not going to get a chance to get up to Tacoma to see them this week. But uh, the, uh, the the feeling I had in watching them was um, – uh, I felt like Rosario had a couple things left to work on, but they were things that could be worked on on the major league level. Specifically, he's a little impatient at the plate. Um, he's, he's definitely not walking enough. He has a tendency of swinging at bad pitches and uh, fouling a decent amount of them off as well. Uh, and you know, I, I think that there's some, some defensive stuff he could work on as well. He has committed quite a few errors, partially because he gets to um, – balls that perhaps he shouldn't uh, in a good way. Uh, you know, Reyes had the same thing. He would uh, make an error on a play that uh, you know, would be an error for nobody else because it would be a base hit for everybody else, uh, a clean base hit. So, I mean, I think he's got that problem going for him. But uh, you know, the other thing, too, as people have pointed out throughout the PCL, if there is one thing that's kind of un- unique to the PCL amongst other, well, okay, there's a lot of things unique to the PCL, but one of them is hard infields due to the desert-like conditions in half the cities in the league. Um, and, um, you, know, you know, hard, hard surface, more bounce, more bounce, more errors. So it, it's a little bit hard to tell. He's pretty evenly split with errors between home and the road. But again, I mean, Mike Schmidt came up and had 30, I mean, obviously third baseman, but he had 30 errors his first season. I mean, you, shortstops and third baseman, just have a lot of errors when they first come up and you just have to live with it and let them learn on the job in their particular infield. So those two things to me were not reasons to keep him down. I'll be honest. And I want to get into this next afterwards. I am 100% mystified why Ahmed Rosario is not considered major league ready at this exact moment by the organization. Give me another reason you're not bringing him up. Fine. But to say he's not ready is absolutely mystifying. Dom Smith, on the other hand, he's close. He's really close. But there's just something there yet that, and I cannot put my finger on it exactly, but something isn't ready yet. But I'll say the one thing, that because uh, uh, our friend Joe DeMeo asked me what I thought of seeing them play together in person um, and what I thought of each of them. And one of the things I noted was 
those two have a definite chemistry between each other coming up through the ranks together that they are in perfect communication between shortstop and first baseman, and that's going to be sweet to watch. Nothing against Duda or anybody else playing shortstop. They were just simpatico. Yeah, I, uh, I'm starting to wonder, actually, if the reason he isn't here is, no, they, they, they know that he's major league ready. They, they have great talent evaluators. They know he's there. I'm starting to wonder, and we'll get into the, all the talk about what happened this week, if the, there might be a little toxicity in the, in the clubhouse right now, and this might not be the best environment to bring him up into. The team that featured Syndergaard and Jake and even to an extent Murphy all kind of joking around with each other, I, I'm not seeing a lot of that team right now. Obviously, Noah's not around. Harvey is probably as miserable as I've ever seen him, given uh, the results he's having this year. Jake's been absolutely <laughs> lights out as of late, but he struggled earlier. And then with Cabrera coming out and demanding the trade because how badly they botched letting him know he was going to start playing second base, I'm wondering if they just think, hey, let's just clear this place out first and then bring up the kids. You know, and the thing, the thing about the, the, the Cabrera thing, I mean, that, I mean, that is just it, – it's just weird. But in talking uh, – um, and this was a conversation that took place in public, so I don't mind divulging it um, on Twitter. In talking to our good friend Michael Barron, um, I mean, he, the people he knows are confused as to why Ahmed Rosario is not up. And, I mean, he knows, let's just say, more important people than you and I know. Uh, and, you know, all I can surmise, and I said this to him, is there has to be more than something on the field going on here. Well, that doesn't mean there's something. That doesn't mean, like, they know that Ahmed Rosario has tested positive for PEDs or something stupid like that. Uh, it's, I'm not suggesting anything scandalous with Rosario, but it could be something as simple of, you know what, the clubhouse environment for a rookie with his enthusiasm level may not be the best thing. Uh, you know, so, I mean, it could be something as simple as that. It could be something, you know, obviously, you know, there, there could be, I mean, the kid's 21. Uh, there could be a maturity issue. I mean, there's certainly possible. Um, like I said, he seems well poised and uh, mature, you know, in, in the brief moments I saw him. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm certainly not following him 24-7, nor do I have the interest in doing so. So, I mean, you know, you don't know everything that's going on with the kid on and off the field, but, uh, you know, there has to be more than just a play reason at this point. Like I said, Dom Smith, he's 95% ready. I believe by the end of the season, he is major league ready, potentially for a September call-up. If you trade Duda for some reason at the deadline, I think you're going to be bringing him up a little raw, but I think he'll be ready pretty quick. Um, I would just expect him to be a little more hiccupy if you did it then. But um, yeah, Ahmed Rosario, absolutely. But with the Cabrera, the thing, that whole thing, I'm still trying to wrap my head around that entire situation with Cabrera because it was the strangest thing. The way it was reported was really strange. The quotes that Cabrera was putting out there were beyond strange. Um, there was one specifically about uh, you know Cabrera referring to himself as third person by last name, mind you, which. That's a new one. I've not heard you – know, Ricky didn't talk about Ricky as Henderson. So that was yeah. – uh, you know, that was, that was a bit weird to me. And then the, the bizarre quote that I need to do what's – you know, I need to do what's best for Cabrera and, uh, and his family by moving on. So, as Drupal, what you're saying is you'd like to be traded for three months somewhere else 
so that you can move again when you sign another free agent contract after the year. How's that best for your family? Exactly. Kind of not getting that one. Um, I feel so, like I, I feel like where he was going there is just that as a free agent, I feel like he feels he would command a bigger salary being a shortstop free agent rather than a second base free agent. You know, the thing about it is I ha- you have to ask yourself, after the past three days of being a second baseman and hitting 500, if he still feels the same way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I kinda, I'm kind of looking for the follow-up with Cabrera at this point because he's kind of been lights out as, as a uh, second baseman. But, you know, the Mets have also backed themselves into a corner here with, with this situation. Where, where, where do you put Walker where he comes, when he comes back? Because yeah, that's you, what, I think that's I think you're going to have a situation where if you try to shift Cabrera back to shortstop now, he, he's going to raise and and rightfully so to an extent. R- holy hellfire! If, if he just gets bumped back to shortstop here in a week and a half or whenever, you know, I haven't heard actually I haven't heard any update whatsoever on on Neil Walker, and that could be part of the problem. Uh, but uh, you know, you have a situation where is he is he is he your second baseman when he comes back, or are you? thinking of moving him to third or first. Well, then, of course, Cabrera also came out the next day with another statement saying, if I am to be here, all right, put me at second, but leave me at second, thereby creating the exact problem that you just mentioned when Walker gets back. It's like, now, do we piss off the guy we already pissed off, or do we piss off the guy coming off the DL, who probably doesn't want to move off second base himself, which is why I think it's pretty inevitable that, at least one, if not both, of these guys will be moved by the deadline. I think so. I mean, the problem is I don't think either of them have particular value at the moment, unfortunately. I mean, Cabrera probably more a little bit than Walker because of that positional flexibility that he has. Although, again, you know, you know, it doesn't impress a whole lot of other teams that uh, you're willing to change positions to have your option um, extent you know, picked up. That's, that's usually not a... A, a big plus. So I, he's going to have to drop that attitude with a new team. Uh, but, uh, you know, I don't, you know, for Met fans out there wondering, you, you're not getting a lot for either of them guys. They, they, you know, even if you pay the lion's share of Neil Walker's salary, not getting a lot back. And, you know, Cabrera, not getting a lot. I mean, they're mid-level pros kind of guys. I think it's safe to say, EJ, I think uh, the the best return would be for Addison Reed. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, if Cabrera somehow maintains what he's doing offensively, you may start be talking about major league talent for major league talent, but he would really have to sustain that for like the next two weeks, three weeks leading up to the deadline. And uh, who knows if that actually happens. Walker, I think the big downside there is, like you said, he's owed a lot of money and he's hurt. So I really don't think that you could command much back for him. Um yeah, Duda, I don't think – you said it yourself on our last show. I think Mets fans value Duda way higher than the rest of the league values Duda. So, yeah, it really is. Curtis Granderson, again, he's come around nicely this month. That's great. But any team in contention is going to know about his history of streakiness. And are you really going to pick up a guy who could absolutely go ice cold on you in September? So, I, I really think – I agree. I think Reed is the guy – who can probably command something back for you. I don't even know how big that would be, given his free agency status, but you could probably pry something decent away for Addison Reed or some type of package that maybe includes Addison Reed and one of those other parts I just mentioned. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, the other thing too that uh, you know, the question has to be asked. I mean, who on earth is your ninth inning guy after you trade Reed? Who? Yeah, it's like you always said: bad teams don't need a good closer. <laughs> so oh, I, 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 and you know what? I, I, I'm not, I'm not diluting that statement. But bad teams need somebody who can close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They need a lot you know, that's, of human that's the difference. Maybe given his performance today, maybe it's Rafael Montero. <laughs> you know, I will say one thing. He, he seems to have found a little something. Now, whether it's a consistent something or not is to be seen, yet to be seen. But his last couple times out of the pen, and obviously today, have not been horrible. Um, you know, he certainly could be a, a, uh, a contender for that. Uh, although, you know, I know Sankaka maybe. I'd, I'd almost be interested to see them try some of the starters out there over time just to see what it looks like because there are a couple of them that I'm not – I mean, like a good example, Gesellman. Yep. I think Gesellman has closer material. I could see that. Yeah, I like, I'd like it. Um, I think you'd probably go initially, if you did move him, I think you'd initially probably be closer by committee for a little while. Until one oh, yeah. guy kind of settled into a, an extended period of success. I mean, I'd like to see him tried out. I would not like to see Salas tried out. They will, of course. I'm sure he'll be the of de facto course. closer upon the trade. Uh, you know, when when such a trade happens, I'd like to see, I'd like to see Gesellman get a shot out there. If they could convince him, I'd almost like to see Harvey get a shot out there. Um, and the other one that I'd like to see, at least in the system, uh, you know, from the system. I'd be interested in seeing both Edgen and Smoker given a shot at it as well. Obviously, when Smoker's healthy. And given his innings right now, you're on pace for Wheeler being shut down in mid-August. That could be a way for them to conserve innings on him too. So it That's, could uh, that doesn't that hasn't escaped me either. Yeah, so it could definitely it could be somebody who the fans are going to be like, "Whoa, really? Okay." But it definitely could be a way to preserve his arm a little bit. It remains to be seen. But I do – I would like – if we're going to be sellers, let's be aggressive sellers early because you don't want to lose the opportunity to, to move, say, a read to a team that's desperate for a closer, and then they go out and find somebody else. So I would like to start hearing some trade rumors soon. We're about to turn the calendar to July. So I would like to, to hear that. I think that's what all Mets fans want right now is we just want to know that Sandy's doing something. It has been very radio silent from our general manager end of the wild card game last year. And I think we just, we kind of, we're, we're not even in panic city. Everyone knows we stink. Panic city is when you see it flipping away. It's away. We all understand that. So I think we can all use a little reassurance that our, our general manager isn't sitting back resting on his laurels and just saying, Oh, well, we have so many injuries. What can you do? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks. I think we're going to find some very interesting things out. A um, couple things real fast before we uh, wrap up, EJ. Uh, one, I, I, I kind of feel like, uh, you know, especially because we appreciate the good history of, of this team, and, uh, uh, you know, that's why we very often have our good friend uh, Greg Prince on. But uh, a sad passing in the world of uh, Metstem this past week with uh, former head groundskeeper Pete Flynn passing away at the age of 79. And, uh, you know, you, with the, long, the, the, the period of time he was around and on the scene, that uh, he was probably the only heads groundkeeper in baseball that every Met fan knew who he was. 
Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I was actually kind of surprised. I'm like, dude, wasn't a hundred. And it's just because as long <laughs> as I was a Met fan and for many decades before that, Pete Flynn was the mainstay. He was there from the minute they opened those doors to the day they shut him. And, uh, he is as much a piece of Mets Americana, even though he's Irish, uh, you know, that, uh, that anybody could ever, ever be. And, uh, you know, I wanted to pay tribute to, to that because he was certainly a lot of, uh, a lot of what made Shea great in the in its heyday. And uh, a quick story, um, 87, I think it was, I was wandering the concourse of the field level with some friends. We were at a game and coming back from Carvel, and I see a cop over there, and he's talking to a guy in a, in a Met jacket. And I look and I say to my friends, hey, guys, that's Pete Flynn. And they look at me, Pete Flynn? Like, yeah, he's the head groundskeeper. And they, they look at him, well, you should go get his autograph. I'm like, I see him on Channel 9 all the time. I really should. So I go up and I say, Pete, can I have your autograph? And the cop goes, you know who this is? You know this guy? And I'm like, yeah, he's Pete Flynn. He's the head groundskeeper. He, 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 makes that, he makes the grass so cool. And he signed my ticket, and I still have it somewhere. Um, but uh, the, the cop, the New York City cop was just so amazed that I knew who this guy was. And he was just <laughs> yakking with a buddy. You know, they're just two buddies yakking on the concourse. Um, but uh, And he was just a nice guy, a really sweet guy. And uh, I think he... He was flattered by the attention, and uh, yeah, just a really cool memory. But uh, Pete Flynn, a Met legend for sure. Oh, you're right. He was absolutely part of Shea Stadium. By all accounts, just a really good guy. You can always see him when you go to games live. You see him running around. I mean, I feel like he was 79 from the year 1962. (laughs) But he was still just a ball of energy running around, giving out commands. He he definitely was part of – part of the legend of Shea Stadium. He was definitely part of this organization and uh, he will be forever. I'm hoping that they do something nice to commemorate him either in the Mets Hall of Fame or some type of ceremony in the near future because it would be a much deserved one. Absolutely. And the last thing, the last thing for me, EJ, I had a chance to run into an old friend this week, uh, both of mine and of Met fans, uh, our dear friend Vic Black, uh, who's working on a comeback and happened to be uh, pitching actually <laughs> – about 10 minutes from my house, uh, pitching an A-ball on a rehab assignment for the AAA uh, affiliate of the Giants. And, uh, you know, I, as desperate as our bullpen has been, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it, boy, it would be nice to have him in our AAA ready to come up because he looked good. He, he, he looked right on. I, I saw him pitch on Wednesday night, and he, was, uh, he, was, he had uh, just a devastating breaking ball just dropping out, and, and his fastball was – Let's just say it looked like he did a couple of years ago with the Mets. It was uh, good to catch up with him, but uh, equally good to see him on uh, on some good footing and getting ready to head to Triple A here in the next couple of days. It's funny the uh, the two relievers who I consider friends of the show. We could really use either of them right about now. Boy, yeah. I mean, heck, I'll, you know, I'll go back in time and say, uh, what's Hamilton Bennett up to these days? Um, <laughs> I, and, and I'm not I'm not making fun of Hamilton. He is a great friend of the show, and boy golly, I wish we could find him. He seems to have dropped off planet Earth. Uh, but uh, the uh, the the reality of it is, is yeah, we we you know, as somebody said, I said to somebody the other day, you know, we need depth for next year. But I don't think no matter how much depth we get for next season, it would have been enough for this season. Because quite frankly, I think Atlantis isn't enough depth for this season. <laughs> it's that far sunk. Yeah, I mean, Mets have the history of the devastating injuries, but I've really never, never seen anything like this before. There was 
there was no overcoming this adversity this year. There was just hopefully trying to sustain and keep your head above. And of course that just happens, hasn't happened. Yeah. And the, you didn't expect it with the ages of the players either. It's, you know, there were a couple of years with the Mets where it's like, you, know, you got five or six players over 35. You, you, you know, you're rolling the dice, so to speak. Uh, but this time it was, uh, yeah, just didn't, uh, didn't, didn't see it coming. Didn't expect it. Too many, too many major players were hit. Um, that, uh, you know, but we'll keep doing this EJ all summer long. Uh, as you might guess, we'll probably focus more on the future and on the past over the next couple months, I think. And, uh, we've definitely got some good interviews, uh, that we're working on lining up that will cover both of those areas. But, uh, I think, uh, you know, unless, unless major news breaks, we'll probably focus on, uh, more on the, the future and the past. Don't you think EJ? Yeah, I totally do. And, Speaking of the future, the next time we get on the air, David Wright will be one game into resuming baseball activities. And Charlie Brown, tee up that football. Oh, I tell you, you know, what are baseball activities now? That's the question. I mean, you know. But, Watching uh, the game? Oh, man. Yeah, it's, every time he gets to this point, you have to ask yourself, is this the last time he tries to get to this point? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's a it's. I definitely, I don't know. I've said it so many times. This has got to be his last attempt, and then he just attempts it again. But we shall see. If, if how amazing would it be if, at the end of this year, Astruvel Cabrera and Neil Walker are gone, and David Wright and Jose Reyes are the left side of your infield? <laughs> I don't know if that's something going really right or really wrong. <laughs> Um, I, I just don't even know what to think of that concept. I, it, it's not, uh, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of. No, I it's, totally get it, man. That would that would just be mind-boggling. That's Twilight Zone stuff. I mean, I, I, I mean, I mean, in your mind, I mean, obviously, and let, let's wrap this up here. But uh, do you see any scenario where Reyes is in a Met uniform next year? None. No, none. None whatsoever. Uh, the bloom was off the rose. It was a very nice reunion initially, but. Yeah, he's uh, he's done so. I think uh, he'll still be in a major league uniform, but I definitely don't think it'll be a Mets one. Somebody's going to give him two to three million to come off the bench, probably. At worst case scenario, he'll make he'll make some club out of out of spring training off a minor league contract. But uh, I, I just don't imagine that the uh, that the Mets are the team to offer that because, quite honestly, I think T.J. Rivera at a fraction of that cost gives you everything and more that Jose Reyes would. Same with Wilma Flores. Yep, totally agree. I don't think that the place will be there for him at the money that he could possibly command. Agreed. Well, I, dude, it's been great to be back with you here, even though uh, it's it's kind of been a doomsday scenario. The the show we did not hope to do the more the unhappy recap, uh, but uh, you know we'll see what uh, what drama um, unfolds. Uh, and uh, you, you know it's you know it's a sad day in Met Twitter land when, when the most the, topic they're most obsessed with is a minor league promotion for Tim Tebow. So, you know, um, <laughs> we'll keep an eye on Tebow. And of course we'll have a Tebow update in, in next week as well, but uh, I'm kidding. But uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, I think we will be looking at some minor league teams over the next couple of weeks and talking about them because uh, right now I think they're providing a lot more excitement than, than the, uh, than the regular team and look forward to talking to our friend Joe DeMeo too about uh, the, uh, the minor leaguers coming up, the draft picks we just picked up. But uh, until next week, when we join each other again uh, and uh, talk Mets baseball, past, present, uh, and future, 
Until next week, let's go Mets.